friends, and welcome to episode 493 of the Juicebox podcast. On today's episode, Asha Brown is here. Asha is a person who's been living with type 1 diabetes for quite some time, and she's also the creator of We Are Diabetes. We Are Diabetes is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing much-needed support, education, guidance, and hope to individuals living with type 1 diabetes who struggle with disordered eating behaviors. Family members, and loved ones of those who are struggling are also welcome and encouraged to reach out to the organization. WeAreDiabetes.org Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you about the T1D Exchange. The T1D Exchange is looking for Type 1 adults and Type 1 caregivers who are U.S. residents to participate in a quick survey that can be completed in just a few minutes from your phone or your computer. After you finish the questions, they only took me about seven minutes, you're done. This is 100% anonymous, completely HIPAA compliant, and you'll never have to go to a doctor or a remote site and yet, you'll still be helping people with type 1 diabetes. You can help with research for type 1 without going to a site or visiting a doctor. And this is how you can do it. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. Go to the link, click on join our registry now, and then just complete the survey. It's that easy. Past participants like you have helped to bring increased coverage for test strips, Medicare coverage for CGMs, and changes in the ADA guidelines for pediatric A1C goals. And it's exciting to imagine what your participation will lead to. While you're on the internet doing good things, check out Touched by Type 1. Touchedbytype1.org. Also find them on Facebook and Instagram. Here's Asha. Hi, I'm Asha Brown, the founder and executive director of We Are Diabetes. I also live with type 1 diabetes, among other uh, autoimmune diseases. Okay, so I'm going to say something that you won't take wrong, please. No. I, you are a person who I am aware of peripherally, but I don't think you and I have ever spoken directly. No, this is our first time right, right now. Right, right, and at the same time, I have a, I, my wife asked me last night, who's on the show, to, who you're recording with tomorrow, and I told her, and she said, how come you're having her on? And I said, I get a really good vibe from her. And that's all I had. She's like, that's it? I'm like, yeah, I get a really good vibe from her. And I said, and she's friendly with people who I also get a good vibe from. (laughs) So, you know, I think the good vibe concept and, and however you want to, you know, phrase that is what builds very strong communities. I think so. I also think that you're from, let me ask you, like, when did you start being visible around diabetes? How did that all happen? So that's a, that's an interesting question because at age five, when I was diagnosed and then started my professional film career, mm-hmm. 
what a year for my parents. Um, I was actually doing advocacy work with my dad, who's also a type one, and we were featured on the front of ADA Diabetes Forecast Holiday Magazine, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that was back in early 90s. Then I disappeared and had a, you know, an entire unraveling of self. When I came back <laughs> to life and to the world of social media and launched We Are Diabetes, we started in, uh, you know, we, we began in January 2012, and um, I'm, I still feel like I'm new to technology, but uh, I started connecting with the DOC specifically around that time. And ever since then, just like you said, I, I really love people and I like to talk. And that is how I've gotten to know everyone that I know. No, it's very cool. Um, so by 2012, I think I'm at this about four or five years by 2012. And I'm just beginning to understand that other people do what I do. Is that, yeah. is that right? Because that's how sort of disjointed the internet was at some point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was, it was, that was very, everything was starting then I feel like. Yeah. Now it just, and, and the, the idea of a diabetes community, it's funny. I think I don't want to, I would never want to speak for anyone, but I think in the beginning, the idea was there were these eight or 10 people and it was widely believed that they were the core of the diabetes community, right? And yeah. I, I still feel that they are in my head. <laughs> yeah, right. And I have trouble not thinking of it that way as well. Like these yeah. are the people yeah. who kind of stepped out first. And because I did it, it's interesting. I didn't do it on WordPress. And because I didn't do it on WordPress, I had no SEO. So I was yeah. growing word of mouth, but I was not one of the people who anyone was like centrally right. aware of, which I ended up believing was really good for for it in general because it got to grow at its own pace. But mm -hmm. but as the years have gone on, I've come more to think of the community as the people it impacts, not the people who are generating content for it. I love that. Okay. Okay. That's how I see I it. I love that. And no one has ever said that to me, Scott, but that is exactly how I think of it too, simply because of the work I do, because it is so centralized around my clients and the, you know, reach out, um, you know, the people that come to me and reach out. So diabetes community, and more specifically, my community, it is it is exactly that. It's the people that are part of it, not the people that are spearheading, blogging it. Yeah, no, no. I, <laughs> I, tweeting it. <laughs> yeah, I, the way I think of it is that I think it feeds from the out, the the perimeter to, mm -hmm. to the back into the content creators. Like if I yeah. make something and nobody cares about it, It'll be obvious to me because I have metrics and I'll see that nobody cares yeah. and then I'll just go yeah. away, right? Yeah. And yeah. But there are people who churn and churn and churn stuff that doesn't get heat or reflected back or mm -hmm. doesn't or doesn't vibe yeah. with people. And, and that's not the – I don't think of that as community. I think of mm – -hmm. I think of the feeling that there are people in the world who are putting out information that hopefully helps you – and if it finds you and it's valuable for you, then that feeling is the community. I hope yes. that makes sense. No, I love that. And I want to, I want to, let's piggyback on that. Let's take a piggyback ride. Um, with that being said, what you were just saying about you get a good feeling from me, right. that is also part of this. It's an essential part because um, who cares how many people visit your website or your website or know about this or that if it helps you? 
then it's part of the community. And this concept of inclusivity, although I feel like that word has, it's like the new kale, you know, um, for, for many reasons, important reasons, you know, don't, don't get mad at Asha for saying that, but, um, it's, but it, it, there's this sense that it, it has to just, there's no, you don't need to grip it. You know, it just, if it's a good feeling and it helps you, then it's part of it. There doesn't need to be more than that. And there's space for everybody who wants to be part of it. Right. right. And because it's virtual, I mean, it, so the word translates, community translates, but it's mm-hmm. not like I'm at home and I live in this town and eight of us get together every Thursday and make a potluck dinner and sit down in a room. Although that does sound fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, we're never going to probably do that again. Yeah. But I, 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 I do understand that. But it's not it's not apples for apples, exactly the same thing. To me, right. for, for me, right, it's a woman who said out loud, a pedra works better for my son than Novolog does. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. I'll try that. It, it's for the first person who said to me, are you going to try a CGM? And I said, I don't know what that is. Y- yeah. You know, like, right. It's like it, just, right. It, it builds and builds and builds. And then those people have to feed other people because yeah. no one, I used to have this dream where there'd be a centralized hub where everyone's writing would be. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was the only way to like really serve people. And then when you stop and think about yeah. it and then people are, you know, some people are selling ads and they're making money and it's yeah, their living. You're to like, moderate that. Oh, right. It's not going <laughs> to, it's not going to work. Right. But in a, in a right. utopian world, that was yeah. going to be the only way for everybody to see everything. Well, and, it would be a lot easier and save more time Google searching. Yeah, it certainly yeah. would. And, and mm-hmm. so at one point I was like, that's the idea. And then I just was like, no, that ain't going to work. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so you keep going on and on. And now what I've come to believe is that it's it's all about value. So I think this podcast has its its listeners because one of them hears it, finds it to be valuable, and tells someone else about it. That's it. I, I think that's just how agree. it works. And if it doesn't work that way for you, then you know, you keep doing what you're doing if, if it makes you happy, but you know. That's, and you know, this actually it. circles right around to what you first said is that I know of you and you have been on my periphery, you know, since I started. I mean, what you do um, and just your name has been around for a long time. And I've always gotten a good feeling about you, even though this is the first time we're having, you know, Thank a communication. You. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Well, listen, at the core of all this, I used to uh, cry in the shower because I thought I was killing my daughter. And uh, then I figured out how not to do that. And I thought, well, that's something I should tell somebody else. And that's pretty much it. And look at how many people you've helped. That's, I mean, that's just beautiful. Did you come on here to say nice things to me? Because that's not necessary. Well, it's one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) Oh, well then, please. (laughs) Say nice things I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm terrific. Keep talking. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, No, but but seriously, it's, um, it, it probably feels trite to hear, but... It's one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done as an adult is to watch yeah. someone come through and say, hey, guess what? My variability decreased. Uh, my time and range increased. My A1C went down. I feel better. Or I have mm-hmm. one note that sticks in my head forever. Um, word for word, I used to think my daughter was a bitch. And then we got her blood sugars lower and stable and it turns out she was just tormented by her her blood sugar swings 
Diabetes swings suck, especially for girls, just women in general, the hormonal disruption. Oh my gosh. It's like having three, it's like, it's like managing three people's diabetes every 30 days. Yeah. And, yeah, I would agree with that. And no one and no one yells at you. We're switching to her now. Right. <laughs> like, it just happens. I wish there was a, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it be nice if there was a chart for that? Just a light <laughs> on your forehead that would go from yeah. amber to another. It would be fine. You Ooh, know? to bright red, yeah. bright red. Yeah, more insulin, more insulin. Right. Uh, but but no, like, it's just very. Um, I I always think back. I don't know that person. Obviously, they just sent a note. But I think like, what if her whole life with her daughter would have been spent thinking that they had some horrible personality conflict and they just ended up growing mm-hmm. apart because of that. Like that would be yeah. just heartbreaking. And why, mm-hmm. why, what, wh- what helped her? Uh, knowing how to pre-bolus, understanding yeah. how insulin works. Y- you yeah. know what I mean? Like that's not Education can go such a long way. And although it's, a, you know, it's a different concept. I know for me personally, when my blood sugars got regulated, after I went to treatment and something that I experience with my clients now is um, there's a lot of diagnosis stuff flying around, um, you know, bipolar, depression, and some of, and I'm not making light of it, but it's often very difficult to get a firm diagnosis um, for a mental state when your blood sugars have been uncontrolled for a long period of time, you know, and it's pretty amazing how a lot of that softens when the diabetes control is better. Yeah. Well, there, know, not perfect, but better. When there's too many variables, yeah. it, it's hard to know. It, it, we, so on the podcast, there was a, a gentleman on a long time ago. He was a, a barrister from Canada and he made this. Oh, that fancy. Yeah. He's a lawyer in Canada, which I think oh, means, wow. he, I think he just defends like Tim Hortons and stuff like that, but it's not, it's, um, but he, uh, but he he made the point one day that when you're talking to witnesses, he said it like this. He said, some people see a man put a pencil in his pocket and rob a bank and come to the conclusion that pencils cause bank robbery. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, right. I'm like, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting what you're saying here. And now when you look, you see people all the time say, you know, my finger hurts. My hand's got to be hurt. Nobody ever thinks there's a, a something pinched in their shoulder. You, you know what I mean? Right. Or, you know, she's crazy or she's out of control or she's just, she's a bitch. Like that's what that woman said, right? Yeah. None of that's yeah. true. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like your story? You said you unraveled a little bit and came back together. What does that mean? Oh man. You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm working on a new way to share my story right now. Um, um, so I'll, I'll try to circle back to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I've lived with chronic illness my whole life. I was diagnosed with type one at five. Hashimoto's came pretty quickly after that, but it was extremely, um, undramatic just because my dad also lives with type one diabetes. So, uh, what I remember is that, um, leading up to the diagnosis, I was eating triple decker peanut butter and banana sandwiches for my bedtime snack before story time and then peeing all night long. And so my dad was like, Oh my God, well, here we go. Right. Uh, and there you go. Uh, life, you know, with type one as a child was, was still fine for me. Um, and again, I also had this amazing theater and film career that started really quickly after that. And, um, you know, I've, I've lived a lovely, magical childhood, (laughs) but I am a young woman and a young woman being in the arts in this society and culture who not only has type one and thyroid disease, but was then 
um, diagnosed with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome mm -hmm. in high school, um, those are a lot of factors playing against you. And the literature and information available in the 90s <laughs> about all of these conditions was crap, just total crap. There was no differentiation between someone living with type 1 and type 2. Um, and it was mostly scare tactic information that I was able to find. So by age 16, I was in a deep rebellion and, and very angry. Um, I felt like my body was dooming me that, uh, you know, no matter what I did, I was going to be fat, not with no legs and probably blind. And, you know, I just, I was deeply angry. Right. So I developed an eating disorder and many other very terrible coping mechanisms for over a decade. Okay. Are you willing to share them or is that enough? Oh, well, um, you know, I was, I don't know if we have enough time to go that deep. Huh? How about that? How about that? That's fine. But it goes along with what I said, before, I think, before we started, or maybe we were already recording. I don't know. I've lived many lives. I've lived many lives, and I've met a lot of people. Um, and I've also, um, I have pockets of time that, unfortunately, I don't remember things um, just because of my choices of um, illegal substances at the time. Gotcha. How about that? How hey, about that? <laughs> I have a, an episode just went up the other day where a young girl about 27 came on and for two hours shared what it was like to get hooked on Oxycontin yeah. and go to heroin and she's trying to kick it still and she has type one. Absolutely like heartbreaking and fascinating. Like she oh, did such yeah. a good job it, it of really explaining is. her life. You know, it was really something. Yeah. So, I under, you know, I, it's funny yeah. because I think that people that live with type, I, I don't know, some, some will agree with me on this is we, our bodies go through so much and we get kind of used to these irregularities and a lot of strange feelings people don't ever experience on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, you know, even yet alone in their lifetime, but we feel these rises and falls and all sorts of things, just things happening in our body. And I, for me, it gave me this sense of not superiority, but kind of like, you know, well, I can't, I'm going to try really hard not to swear. It might be hard, but you know, F you death and whatever. Like I started to feel invincible and because my blood sugars were deeply unmanaged, you know, my A1C was above 15 for almost a decade. Wow. I felt nothing. So I started to feel this superior sense of, you know, I can't die. And at this point I don't care. So that, you know, kind of spurned many poor choices within this time frame. Yeah, that I'm talking no, I understand. So are you saying that after a while of having an elevated blood sugar like that, that not yeah. only does everything sort of become physically disconnected, like they say, you can't feel your highs anymore, all that stuff, yeah. but oh, you're, God, no. you're, you're listening to a doctor who tells you, if you don't take really good care of this, bad stuff's going to happen. And you're like, I got up again today and nothing bad happened. Cause it feels right. like nothing exactly. bad's happening. Right. Exactly. Like, and you know, again, I also didn't feel pain which boy, oh boy, I wish I had, because now I certainly do, you know, I mean, the complications I live with now because of that part of my life, um, I just, you know, I, I, it's, I sober up to it, which I choose to use that word, I sober up to those consequences every day, just because of, you know, what my body now has to deal with, and what it cannot do anymore, just because of that, you know, very long time of uncontrolled blood sugars. How did you have a, a good attitude about that? 
Like, how do you not wallow in the look what I did instead of the let's move forward? I, I wish I had a better answer than the one I'm going to give you because it's not going to help anybody. Okay. okay. It's because I have the agar genetics. It's from Will Agar, my father. I don't know what's wrong with us. We're deeply plucky. <laughs> We're deeply plucky. We're, it's, it's, it's half glass full, even if there's barely any water in that glass. Right. Uh, I don't. <laughs> and we, we have very hardy genetics. Like he's been through a lot. My God, he's lived now with type one much more than 50 years. He was diagnosed in uh, 1970. Um, he, he's had a quintuple bypass surgery. He recently had two uh, heart surgeries in September. Um, you know, just it, it happens, um, you know, but he's, he's still working, thriving. He's, he lives this beautiful life of art and he's a teacher and a father, a musician. He just, he wants to choose joy versus not. And, and that is, it's been ingrained in me. I was taught it, you know, before I even understood words. It's very, very interesting that you're talking about this right now, because two hours ago, I was standing in my kitchen, my wife and I were talking about an acquaintance who seemed to be falling down rabbit holes. And I said, I wonder what the difference is between someone who sees something and says, oh, this is horrible and burrows down on the horrible and someone who says, oh, this isn't great, but here's perspective. Like we were like talking specifically about being kind of locked in your house right now yeah. for, for the most yeah. part. Oh, yeah. And and I said, um, I said, I try to step back and think, well, I am quarantined here, but my life is still better than most people's. And then mm -hmm. I just reset my idea of what great is and keep moving. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't understand why other people can't do that. I, I get that they can't. And I'm not saying I don't understand, like, hey, you should just do it. Right. I mean, like, I physically right. can't com I can't comprehend it. And I know it's just a difference in whatever you said, right? Like, the unknown part of who it's people the, are. I think that's, like, the – I think it's the evasive component to why some people have treatment-resistant depression. You know, I think it's the – that, like, I think – is it the phrase je ne sais quoi? We don't know. Scientists are still trying to figure it out. Everybody's head talking about it. Right. We're never going to know because it's the magic of life. It just is. It works you know? for some and people and it doesn't for others. And that's that. Yeah. 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 I, I, so I used this as an example when I was talking to my wife. I said, when I was very young in elementary school, I remember kids talking about, you know, all the things kids talk about. And the one thing that came up was if you step on a crack in the sidewalk, you'll break your mother's back. Right. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. this, like, it's this thing. So I remember one yeah. day walking to school on this long sidewalk and I noticed, oh my gosh, I'm purposefully not stepping on the cracks in the sidewalk. And my <laughs> mind immediately said, that's crazy. Just step on the cracks in the sidewalk. So I stepped yeah, on yeah. every crack I could on the way to school, yep. got home, mom was fine. That was the end of it <sighs> for go. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how you learned your lesson. <laughs> right. But how does someone have that very first like seed of a thought around something obsessive like that and then mm -hmm. not be able to like leave it go or walk away from it. It's terrible. Y you know, it is terrible. Yeah. And that's a great, you know, that's, that's a question that I wish I had the answer to. And yet it's kind of what gives me drive every day with the work I do now, because yeah. I've been there. I had my own inability to step on the cracks, so to speak, mm -hmm. right. With my behaviors and the coping mechanisms I use to avoid my feelings and avoid growing up and being an adult.
and I'm very, I'm making very light, you know, of, of what I struggled with. And the people that I work with in my coaching and just people that reach out to We Are Diabetes, um, everyone is at a place where they recognize, I don't want to do this anymore, but, but it's gotten so cyclical and so difficult. And, and they can see it, but they don't know how to pull themselves out. And it is, it is a different process for every single person. Yeah. I think it's very common through many threads of being human, too. Like yeah. seeing that you're trapped knowing mm -hmm. it's not what you want and not knowing the steps. And by the way, I don't see that as being much different than being diagnosed with type one diabetes, being told, test your blood sugar, count your carbs, getting, yeah. getting mired down in this too, too vague plan, then starting oh, to see yeah. the bigger impact, you know, um, packs and think, I don't know how to do that. I only have these couple of tools. It's like somebody hands you right. like a hammer and a screwdriver and it's like, okay, go make a space shuttle. Right, right. I know. Oh, yeah. that's a great metaphor. <laughs> just, Ooh. Like, I don't think I can do it. I think it I have to stuff. write that down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it, it, it really does feel like that's what diabetes is like for most people yeah. who get that direction. And then it takes certain people to break free of it, and certain people can't. And then hopefully those that could, this is how I see it at least, those that could should, I used to talk about like being on a dark path. Like I always yeah. tell people like I'm not better at diabetes than you are, I'm just farther ahead in the idea than you are. So yeah, what's yeah. wrong with me shining a light back at you and going, hey, I'm up here. You know, there's a hole there, yeah. a stick there. There's a line. If you go this way, that way, this way, that way, you can come Ooh. up and be with me. You don't have to take the trip I took. You know what I mean? Right, right. right. <gasps> Another way to think about it and what I'm hearing from you is, especially for newly diagnosed, you think there is just this one path and, and apparently and if it's not working, then you're the failure, right? But what people don't know is there's so many paths to the same great outcome. Um, and you can even make your own, like you can literally just carve your own way. You can use a CGM, but not a pump. And, you know, there's, just, I mean, it's like, there's so many different options. Um, but it's almost like if someone isn't told you can do this, you can choose this or not. Um, they don't even think that's a possibility. So I have to tell you that there are days where I think my whole job is just, I'm the pat on the ass guy. I'm the guy going, you can do it. Get yeah. out there. Right. Like, go ahead. It'll be fine. Try another unit. Yeah. See what right. happens. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like I, I, I love, I love that moment where somebody says, I don't understand. My blood sugar has been 250 for three weeks and I can't do anything about it. And I'm like, no, that isn't right. The statement, yeah. the statement that I can't do anything about it isn't right. Like you can give yourself more right. insulin, your blood sugar will be lower. Right. 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 You, you know, and and you're afraid for probably very good reasons. Here are the steps I would take to get it to. Yeah. No, I can't say that. Yeah. Lower safety. <laughs> Not exactly. No. All I can do is redirect, redirect, encourage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm and listen. Here's the great thing about the podcast. I'm obviously not a doctor either. Um, right. All I do is I kind of come on here and I talk about how I do things for my daughter, how I see my daughter doing things. People can take from it what they will and right. le leave behind what they don't want. But it, we really do get caught in that that sort of like gray area of there are mm -hmm. people who know and won't say. And, yeah, and, that and what is up with that? I, I, I kind of <laughs> get it, but I... I, 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 just, I but here's the know. other... I mean, so along... As long as I'm continuing to be mindful about what I can say and not say and what, you know, will lead to supportive and non-illegal, like, or non... Like, no legal battles in my future. Yeah. The, what we do 
is also so important because it is that much needed like um middle space um right there needs to be people that talk about their personal experience or their you know what's working for their family um and isn't because if there was just endocrinologists and CDE appointments then our whole community you know back to the community thing we would be so lost yeah. you know it's my we need these people talking about what works for them. My daughter's endocrinology appointments got us to a low eight A1C and mm-hmm. a lot of stress and anxiety. And I'm sure my little baby not feeling very well. <laughs> and so yeah. um, then I'm like, all right, let me try to figure this out for myself. I, I didn't realize until years later after writing the blog for a while. So I always have this sort of I have a. um. I usually, I'm sure this is politically incorrect, but I have like a little fat kids mentality. I I don't think I'm good at anything <laughs> specifically. You know, uh, I always imagine if anyone can do something, if I can do something, it must mean everyone can do it. Like I don't yeah. have a ton of I, I actually totally understand that. Yeah. yeah, I get it. So at one point I hear people kind of ranting and raving like you can't, like they used to say like, you can't give people medical advice. They weren't talking to me. They were saying it out loud, right? You can't yeah, give people right. medical advice. And I'm like, but nobody's giving them the advice. So and then the and then the argument would be, well, you well, it's not safe. And I'm like, all right, well, can't there be a way to tell this story safely so that right. so that you can't hurt yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, by underst- right. like understanding slowly. That's where the podcast came in because writing it down was nice, but saying it works so much better. Um, Words are, you know, the spoken word as well. I mean, I'm an actor, so I could go on, but it's you know, what you offer to people is so much more than reading it on a piece of, on, in, in a book or a blog, because it, it shows you are real. You yeah. are a real person going through this and they can hear emotion and variability in your voice and know that it's true. It's very important to be able to hear those. Mm-hmm. So you can't misinterpret an idea you can't. to be no. spoken. It's, it's just so much more important. So anyway, now at yeah. this point, I mean, by the time your episode comes out, the podcast will have three million downloads and it just had two million not long ago. Oh my gosh. So that's amazing. It's just nuts. And then the 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 feedback that continues to come back is is similar and it, it grows in mass, which just yeah. I, I think proves to me it's working for people because it's totally working. So it's thr- it's very thrilling. And and the And pod- you know what actually makes sense that with the with the life that we all must consider living moving forward. Um, how's that for a politically correct way to say it? Um, we, uh, this, you may find even more listeners tuning in, you know, people like reaching for, you know, options for entertainment that is inside their home, yeah. you know, that's engaging. They will explore and find, you know, this podcast that perhaps that they wouldn't. I'm gonna, I'm think you're going to see too with more sedentary lifestyles, which are happening at the moment, people's insulin needs go up and they don't see the correlation between mm. being sedentary no, and, yeah. their, and their insulin needs going yeah. up. But anyway, so it's very uncommon for me because you have, like you said, you, you do, we are diabetes is, is like a coaching site. Is that right? Well, it's no, I mean, that's like the pretty much the last part of it. We are okay. diabetes is actually a 501c3 nonprofit. Okay. And we are primarily supported to spreading awareness, education, and support to people living with type 1 diabetes and disordered eating. Okay. And that kind of also includes their families or loved ones, as well as clinics 
and the providers that are working with these um, with these individuals. Okay, so if I had, is it ma- is it mainly around disordered eating that you help right people? now? It is primarily it's the primary focus. And what I always like to say is, once I see a large change, which I do believe is possible not with this president, but perhaps a future one, um, as well as many other things in the medical world that will shift. Once I see that change, then I have, uh, well, I've got decades and decades of ideas of what WAD can then move into. Okay, but right now we are, this is our primary focus. Gotcha. Am, am I, I mean, am I anywhere near your thinking when I say that I tell my daughter and anybody who's willing to listen to the show that I think limiting food because of diabetes is a gateway to an eating disorder? Yes, you are absolutely correct. And if you want to make banners and, you know, just like little Instagram posters with that message, I am fully behind you because you are correct. Okay. So I I don't personally care how people eat. Um, I just want them to be able to use insulin in the scenario they find themselves in. That's my, my goal for that. I want you to be able to look at whatever it is you look at in the refrigerator and say, I know how to bolus for that. And I right. think that some people take that as meaning like, I want everybody to eat like very sugary, high carb things. I, yeah, I don't eat a cake, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like that. I, I, I think if you want cake, you should have cake. I think, yeah. that, I think that if you want to eat like today, in a couple of hours, I have an episode going up um, with, an, with a doctor who is firmly behind a carnivore diet. And I oh. and I did not put that up because I was like, oh, I want everybody to eat carnivore. Right. I want everybody it's, to understand this is a different way some people eat. And yeah. if you want to do this too, here's what it is. And right. you know what I mean? And then go figure out how to yeah. use the insulin for it. Like, I don't, I'm not into telling people what to do. Um, but- no, I think along with that thought, for me, especially because of, you know, the past few years of my health and understanding hormones and how deeply important and integral they are to functionality. Um, Insulin is a hormone. So when you have to provide it synthetically, it does take more work and education and a deep sense of understanding of how your body works with a bunch of variable factors, Mm -hmm. you know? So food is, is like, Oh, this is a terrible metaphor, but it kind of goes, food is the icing on the cake of the issue. It's it's really not the issue. It's understanding how insulin works with your body, your set of hormones, and all the factors that change. Right, right. And and it's it's one thing that gets lost so often in all this is is the idea that 10 carbs of one thing is not commiserate to 10 carbs of another no. thing. And it's just- Not it's, at all. And, and, and at not, different times of day, it's a different ball game. Yeah. I would tell you that I'm sure that if my daughter decided to eat, you know, a keto diet or an all meat diet or something like that, I'd have a easier time and she'd have an easier time managing her insulin. But, you know, for context, Arden has what I would think is a fairly classic American diet. Her A1C is between five, two and six, two for six and a half years. So wow. it's doable. Her variability is oh, good. So all, doable. And at that point. age, that's so good for her moving forward. It's a, listen, that's really good. my point ends up being that I kept thinking back a long time ago, there's got to be a distilled way to think about the bigger tools where then people can take them and apply them to their lives. So they can take the hammer and the screwdriver that they were given and and, and instead of beating Work on it, the space shuttle. <laughs> yeah, but instead of beating in a nail with a hammer, they can go, well, if I flip this thing upside down, I can use the handle like this. You, you know, like yeah, so they can take the right. tools and do what they want with them. Right. Um, that's it. I honestly think that 
managing insulin for most people, and there are a number of people who have extenuating medical circumstances, and I, I'm not putting them into the same boat. Yeah. But for most people, it's about having your basal right, understanding the timing of meal insulin, understanding the impact of different carbs, and you know, from there, more and more things. But you could start with those three things and have a totally. fairly successful life, I think. And then I think to add on to that, at least with my you know, the, with my community that I serve is being honest with yourself. What are ways people aren't honest with themselves? You know, th so th that goes into deep, many layers. So honesty about, um, you know, for people who have, you know, uh, gravitate towards binge eating disorder, which, you know, I, I don't even... I want to avoid saying anything that is going to come back at me negatively. It's um, it it can be a common thing <laughs> for people living with type one to struggle with binge eating disorder sometimes, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not a doctor. There you go. Right. Um, but so being honest with how much food you're eating, um, being honest with your relationship with food, being honest about you know how often you know you are reaching for food instead of sharing your feelings. And, you know, so it goes into a lot of different layers of honesty. Right. Um, and, you know, your, your even uh, playing ground with your ability to be honest with yourself. So, so there are people who are, from a third party perspective, quite clearly making decisions that are impacting them. And then when you ask them what's going on, they're like, I don't know, I eat fine. Right. Yeah, like that Correct. kind of thing. I right. see, right. right. And it, I mean, and so, and there's layers of that too, because I, for years, was so in denial that what I was doing and the choices I were making was actually, you know, under the umbrella of an eating disorder. Okay. You know, I would never have used that word ever. And, and yet I was so secretive and making so, and sh creating so many lies to protect my behaviors hmm. and my choices and decisions. And my life had become very small in regards to food and what I could tolerate or trust. It, you know, it was this big, big ball of, you know, you know, those balls of um, rubber bands that people have in the yeah, office, you yeah. know, oh, it was a huge rubber ball of lie bands, you know, big, big band of lies. I, so, I, I yeah. I ask you a question because I'm looking at you and I've, oh, I've cool. seen you over time. You're a I mean, listen, unless you change drastically below your navel, you're a trim, lean person. Are you telling me that you were obese at some point? I was, I don't know if I was obese. I certainly was heavier at different times in my life. Okay. I've, I was, I've, my natural body size is what you see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always been petite. I guess that's the word you use. Right. What's ironic is that when my eating disorder began, you know, I d did initially lose weight and I will not talk about any more specifics as to how that happened, but it happened. And what is also interesting is as I um, layered on more eating disordered behaviors and as I omitted more insulin, which meant I was constantly hungry and thirsty and craving carbs all the time, my body swole up. So I did gain a great deal of edema and just weight, right. you know, from years of binging and many other disordered behaviors. Okay. I always struggle with 
like I have people on who have who've suffered like with diabulimia. I've had just mm-hmm. bulimics on who uh, there was yeah. this one girl on recently. She was terrific because she had, it's weird how I think of like good stories. Terrific. It was, it was fantastic because so she had, she had bulimia way before she had diabetes, right. but it just made yeah, her, yeah. it made her story different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I, I always like, I always get right up to the line. I want people to understand how insulin is reverse manipulated to keep weight down without yeah. without giving someone a step-by-step tutorial about how to have an eating disorder. Do you right, know what I mean? Right, And it's so difficult because I see very well-meaning people offering ad- advice, which there is a line crossed gr- too many times about this, but, you know, insulin is a hormone. If your hormones are imbalanced, things don't work out. I mean, that's the essence. So if you're getting too much insulin at certain times and you're being forced to eat too much, that's not going to end well long term and you're not going to feel good. Right. If you're not getting enough insulin, you know, things get imbalanced. That's not going to end well. You're not going to feel or look good. You know, it's like. I when I when I'm trying to explain to people when they're when I, I really do think everything starts at basal. So when people when people have these little like graphs that go along, then they dip down, they come back mm-hmm. up. My first question is it's funny to watch people jump to conclusions um, because I have a very robust Facebook page around the um, the the podcasters. I think yeah. there's like seven thousand people in it right now. Passionate, yeah, like, right? like, like, like sixty five hundred of them are active on a daily basis. Wow, and it's the nicest place I've ever seen on Facebook. People are not Aww. mean to each other at all. But it's oh, interesting. I love it. I want to go live there. It is lovely, <laughs> actually. But when you see stability, that, that's a small drop and comes back up again. Stability, small drop comes back up again. Some people say. Oh, your basal's too high; it's dropping you down. But I always think to ask first: Hey, are you is that are you feeding that low to stop it, or right. are you bolusing right to to like like are these spikes that that need insulin or are these drops right. that need food? And then right. I, I I very frequently use the phrase feeding insulin because I find mm. it intersects with people's like that. understanding that they're using too much insulin. When you're using too much insulin, you have to feed it. Health wise, nice, yeah, bad, bad yeah. for you, right? But but mm-hmm. management wise and figuring it out, if you find yourself feeding your insulin, you probably have a little too much somewhere, right? right? And, and that's you know, it's interesting because I switched over to the Omnipod actually for the the first pump of my life this wow. year. You know, with quarantine and everything, I was like, oh, I finally, I should probably finally try it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was actually a wonderful experience because I was able to. Um, utilize integrate, uh, integrated diabetes services. Uh, Danielle Hargenrader helped me, you know, yay for community, right? Yeah. Um, but it really did, right to what you're saying about the basal being kind of a core important factor, the major factor is, I totally agree. And it, it's been fascinating to, uh, to work on my specific basal needs just because I also take steroids multiple times a day to stay alive with my Addison's disease. So yeah. it's been very interesting. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, I think I'm sniffing out as I pay attention and I speak to more and more people that some older diabetics, people who have had diabetes for a longer time, mm-hmm. going back yeah. into older insulins who are on mm-hmm. MDI, sometimes use more basal than they need in the same way as they used to shoot their regular and Right. And then eat at a certain time. It's almost like I'll put the yeah. basil in and as it draws me down, I'll have a meal. And it's a timing thing yeah. that works really well for them. 
Um, yeah, if they have that regulated life, then yes. it's you know it's a choice, right? But I think at some point it's interesting to watch people leave uh, a heavy basal MDI program and go to yeah. a and go to a pump because then they're like, I don't understand. My blood sugar's two hundred all the time. I was like, Yeah, hey, you don't realize right. you had way too much basal going before, totally. right? And so you yeah. weren't you weren't bolusing or or injecting as much at meals as you probably needed to. Because right. you had such a heavy layer of basil on, I I'm fascinated by how insulin works and and how yeah, people it is, see it. It is fascinating, and I think um, it's a good word to use because I had to really go through this process of not believing it was the devil and that it was going to make me fat. Mm-hmm. But then I also had to totally embrace reeducating myself and being curious about it instead of afraid of it. And I think there's this big fear thing and you know, it's not helping. There's a lot of journalists out there and there's really bombastic titled articles about insulin resistance and, you know, and and so it just creates this fear. But if you're curious and you're willing to just see what works, life can be so much better. Yeah. No, I, um, I mean the whole kind of, uh, rally and cry around the podcast is to be bold with insulin. Yeah. You know, just yeah. just use it the way you need it. What and I, I'm I'm fascinated endlessly and I, I am some point going to get an adult on here who can who has diabetes who can talk about it. About that idea that there's a certain amount of insulin that if I use over that I'm failing somehow. Oh and, well oh my goodness. Well maybe you should just have me come back on and we'll talk specifically about that, Scott, because that's <laughs> one of the conversations I have almost daily with a client. I mean, that's a, that's a big, that's a big fear thing in regards to people who have disordered eating and thinking about yeah. diabetes. But it's interesting how the, those layers kind of pile on top of each other. The idea that like, well, I, it's the insulin's fault. I'm like, well, no, it's carbs and it's the carbs. Right. Really? You're eating so many carbs. You need this mm-hmm. much insulin, right? So yeah. your problem's not the insulin. Your problem is your intake. And if it, if it's a problem, by the way, right. and if it's not a right. problem, you know, like when people say they get, you know, oh, I'm so scared of insulin because it's going to make me fat. I, I think that it's such a simple thing that happens that then gets blown up in people's minds and 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 just spoken about incorrectly. Like you get diagnosed, oftentimes you lose weight and you start having insulin, your body starts processing food correctly and then voila, the, the weight comes back on. Now, if you're a person who's eating more calories or more carbs in a day than your body needs, you are going to see weight gain from that. Correct. But that's Correct. not the insulin. Just nope. the same way. Unfortunately, you- though, that that specific situation that you describe is, is, is very commonly a time when um, disordered eating and thinking patterns can occur yeah. for someone. I can see um, it. Just because they do see that big switch you know they're saying i didn't have enough insulin but now they're putting insulin in me they are right all this like now insulin is you know insulin is to blame and insulin's the pencil that the guy put in his pocket before he robbed the bank mm, and then they're like there hey you, you know what's wrong here yeah. it's this it's um it's a shame and i but i understand how people come to the conclusion like it's not crazy to see okay um but okay so asha she's got to go Wait, i only have her for a short amount of no, time no and i feel like so you're right this one's so fast. I apologize. Oh my, we didn't even, I feel like we didn't do anything. Oh, that's fine. But Uh, we did so much. We did so much, but nothing. There's so much more to talk about. (laughs) That's what the podcast is. It's everything and nothing (laughs) all at the same time. But but I want to let people know it's wearediabetes.org, right? That's correct. So if you're you're struggling with any sort of disordered eating 
I go there and what do I do? Do I reach out? How do I handle it? You follow the, you know, there, we, we've tried to make the website fairly clear. There's, you know, an about us section. There's a contact us section. Mm-hmm. The, the homepage states what we do. There's, there's lots of options for you to click on and they will all reach me okay. <laughs> and my team. Got it. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, so seriously, I'm always, I, as the podcast gets more and more popular, more people reach out and want to be on. And yeah. I feel badly about sometimes I get notes from people and I'm like, this seems so good, but I don't know you. Like I can't, I can't vouch for you, but you, I felt like I could vouch for. And I have to Aww. tell you that your connection to integrated because Jenny Smith is a frequent guest on the show. Yeah. Just having those connections and seeing what you're doing. I just thought it was really important to let people know about Aww. this as, as an, an option for them. So thank you. Scott. No, thank you. so Well, much. your, your words um, definitely have been the highlight of my week. It's really nice to hear. Well, it's only Wednesday, but I'm taking the compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so very much. I really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. I'd first like to thank Asha for coming on the show. A huge thank you, in fact, and remind you to check out wearediabetes.org. I'd also want to remind you, I also want to remind you, to go to the T1D Exchange at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Click on join our registry, finish the survey, support type 1 diabetes research, and support the podcast. You'll be doing all of that in just a few minutes of time. And of course, touchedbytype1.org. They're available on Instagram and Facebook and right there on their link, touchedbytype1.org. Check them out. Thank you very much for listening to the Juice Box Podcast. Please remember to share the show with someone you think might enjoy it. And of course, subscribe in your podcast app. If you're listening in a podcast app, please hit follow or subscribe. And if you're listening online, check out the apps. They're free. There's tons of links to a bunch of apps that will work for you at juiceboxpodcast.com. But in the end, you can listen anywhere you get your audio. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It really, 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 really helps the show. Thanks so much. I'll see you soon.